Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. It's going to be an audio-only message this evening, so please sit back, uh, open up your Bibles, and follow along with me as we look at our topic for discussion this evening, which is the will of God. What is it, and how can I know it? I've been thinking a lot about the will of God in these last few weeks, and uh, my own thinking was greatly supplemented by a book uh, I'd like to recommend to you. It's called Just Do Something. Just Do Something. And the author is Kevin DeYoung. This is one of those books that I wish I'd read when I was 18, and uh, not when my children are almost 18. It's very short. It's about 144 pages. I really recommend it. It's very helpful. But on a daily basis, we make decisions. Decisions that affect our own or someone else's relationships, finances, future, health, well-being, etc. And I think that Christians broadly fall into a spectrum with two extreme camps. On the one hand, there are those who are so afraid that they will miss God's will for their lives that they put off making decisions until they are absolutely sure they know what God wants them to do. And then those on the other side who go through life making decisions without too much regard for, for what God's will is for their lives just following the general biblical rules. But there's a healthy balance to be maintained between those two. So I think the first point for reflection and discussion this evening would be, where do I fit on that scale? How do I approach the important decisions in my life? See, Kevin DeYoung, in this book, he describes some pictures that people have of God's will. And the first one, he says, is, it's like a maze. Now, if you know what a maze is, you have one entrance into the maze, then you need to navigate your way through a whole bunch of possible uh, routes to get to the one exit on the other side. And so people see God's will as this, this puzzle that has to be solved. And there's only one correct answer. Otherwise, you get stuck in the maze and you miss God's will. But another one is like a dartboard. So if you have a dartboard, if you don't hit the bullseye, if you don't do exactly what God's will is for your life, you're settling for second or even a third best life. Can you identify with any of those two examples this evening? The young says, if God has such a wonderful plan for my life, as so many gospel tracts tell us, then why doesn't he just tell me what it is? How many of us have cried out in our hearts, Lord, if you would... Uh, I would do your will if you would just tell me what it was. If I knew what you were asking me to do, I would do it in a second, in a heartbeat. But I don't. God has given us as human beings incredible freedom to make choices and decisions. And sometimes the problem is not God's will, the problem is our unrealistic expectations of life. We need to hear from God for every single decision we make, then every single decision almost becomes a question of, of life or death. If I get this wrong, I can mess everything up. And that often leads us to various methods for determining God's will that may seem innocent, but can actually be very harmful. So while I go through these, please think about which of these methods you are most likely to implement when you have a big decision to make. And have a discussion with your family or those listening with you. The first method that we 
tend to use to determine God's will is we look for signs. We look for signs. This idea that God has put these clues out for us to find in order to know what His will is. So, for example, you are considering moving to Cape Town for a job opportunity. And so you switch on the radio and it's National Cape Town Day. And everybody's only talking about Cape Town. And you think, well, maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something. Or you are at a business function and you hear people saying, about, oh, you know, they've got two or three colleagues that recently moved to Cape Town. You think, well, that's getting my attention. Or you're reading in a newspaper or a magazine and you open it up and the first article is how wonderful Cape Town is as a place to live. But is that really what God wants us to do, to look for signs? I think that can be very misleading. Secondly, uh, this is a, f a favorite of many Christians, is random Bible verses. So in trying to discern what God's will is, we have to make a decision. We take the Bible, open it up, and point to a verse, and take that as God's message. Or just take a Bible verse out of context because it seems to fit what you're going through. Take a silly example. For example, you're wondering, should you speak up at work or should you just remain silent and let things carry on the way they are? And you open up your Bible and you find this verse, Exodus 14, verse 14. It says, The Lord shall fight for you while you hold your peace. And you think, Ah, oh, okay, well that's my answer. But supposing you uh, just want to make sure that you're hearing God correctly and so you page to another random place, and you get to Esther 4, verse 14. <laughs> that it says, If you remain silent at this time, protection and deliverance for the Jews will be ordained from some other place, but you and your father's house shall be destroyed. It's a silly example, but we should be careful of using random Bible verses to try and figure out what God's will is for us. Okay, Bible verses are not little individual messages from God to us. Um, to guide us on our everyday lives. All of these verses fit into a bigger story in the context of the chapter and the book and the testament in which it's found. So the third thing is feelings. We use our feelings, including saying, I feel a peace about it, or my heart is at ease about this decision. We need to remember that our ability to make good choices and decisions has been scarred by the fall. So we cannot simply therefore go on what our hearts tell us is the right thing to do. Because it can easily lead to someone saying, well, you know, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. And therefore any unpleasant experience must not be God's will, or it must mean that I am outside of God's will. And that can be the only explanation for why this is happening to me. I mean, but let me tell you, if you are a Christian and you're living a life of sin, then God wants you to be unhappy. And so your feelings are not going to be an accurate reflection of where um, God wants you to be. Number four is a still small voice. There's an author called uh, Sarah Young, and she wrote a book called Jesus Calling. And the reason that she wrote the book, she says, is that even though she had the Bible, she wanted something more. 
Okay, she, she wanted something deeper. And so she wanted to hear from Jesus directly, not from a cold uh, piece of paper writing on a page, but to hear from Jesus directly. And so she supposedly learned how to hear God's voice by tuning in to the right spiritual frequency. Now it's interesting that if you ask people like Sarah Young, exactly how does God speak to you? They always have some uh, vague or either conf conflicting answers. So some people will say, no, no, it's an audible voice. You can hear God speaking audibly. Others will say, no, no, it's, it's more of an impression on your heart. Others will say, it's, it's a dream or a vision. Now, of course, God has spoken in these ways in the past. But we need to ask ourselves, is that the way he is speaking to us today? Is that what we need to learn in order to discern what his will is? Get on the right spiritual frequency? I don't think so. But number five, people will say, well, I just have faith. You know, if I've got a decision to make, you know, I just have faith. But, but what does that really mean? We say, I just have faith. Um, Kevin DeYoung quotes uh, Bruce Waltke, and he says, Abel had faith, and he died. Enoch had faith, and he didn't die. Noah had faith, and everybody else died. So we need to make sure we understand what we are saying when we say, I have faith. Of course, we can trust God to lead us and to guide us, but we can't have a happy-go-lucky attitude towards the will of God and just say, well, I just have faith that it's going to work out in the end. Because all of these methods that we looked at are incredibly subjective. It might be that God uses these imperfect ways to still uh, lead you into his will because he's gracious and he's merciful. But that should be the exception, not the rule that we seek out. What the young and many other authors point out is that the reason we struggle to find God's will for our lives is because the Bible really speaks about two wills of God. The first is his secret will. The second is his revealed will. Now the secret will of God is called the secret will because it's a secret that uh, well-known passage in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, The secret things belong unto the Lord, but that which has been revealed belongs to his people. I'm paraphrasing. The secret will of God is that which God has decreed, which will take place. Okay, that which cannot be thwarted. We read, for example, in Acts chapter 4, 27 and 28, the uh, believers are praying and they say, Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were assembled together against your holy Son Jesus, whom you have anointed, to do what your hand and your counsel had foreordained to be done. In other words, Jesus had to be crucified. There was no way that Jesus could not be crucified. So that is God's secret will. That is often what we are looking for when we ask God to show us His will. We want to know, Lord, what is the blueprint for our lives? Please show me the exact plan from beginning to end for my life. Before I make any decisions, I want to know that I'm going to get it exactly right. 
Kevin DeYoung says, many times we want to know what God's will is just so we know that everything will be okay. That I won't have to go through any hardship or, or that God won't expect anything of me that I cannot endure. But I think we're looking in the wrong place when we want to find out what God's secret will is for our lives. That is a process that God reveals to us as we walk with Him, as we live our lives with Him. It is not something to be determined, to be found out, to be attuned to in a spiritual sense before we make decisions. Then we come to God's revealed will. Now God's revealed will is that which He commands us to do, but that can be thwarted. We can disobey God's revealed will. So, do you want to know what the will of God is for your life? Let me tell you. You're at the right place. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 to 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of depravity, even as the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man take advantage of and defraud his neighbor or his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we also have forewarned you and testify. So there you have it. God's will for our lives is to abstain from sexual immorality, to grow in our sanctification, to become more like Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, gives us many, many examples of God's revealed will. Later in the same book, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, we read, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We read in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will for our lives is to be transformed, to be made holy, to grow in our sanctification, in our relationship with Him. Here's another one, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 12. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to all, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, enduring everything with perseverance and patience joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. Lastly, Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise men, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, being submissive to one another in the fear of the Lord. So notice all of these verses are telling us practical things. What does God expect of us? He expects us to bear fruit, to be thankful, to rejoice, to be filled with the Spirit, to grow. And so before we uh, peer behind the curtain and try to figure out what God's secret will is, what His blueprint for our lives is, let's look at these verses and say, well, this is what God has revealed. This is His will for my life. Am I doing these things? Do I have a desire to do them, even though I might fall short in, in many aspects? Is the desire there to, to, to do God's will, and to be obedient to what He has revealed to us? Or maybe do we feel this evening that, oh, this is wonderful, but if God would just speak to me, then I would know what to do. Or, you know, it's wonderful practical advice given by uh, these Bible verses, but I still need to make a decision. Do I need to move to Cape Town or not? What does God want me to do? Well, this is where wisdom comes in. Take a look at these verses, apply them to your life where you are right now, and apply them to your life if you should move to Cape Town. Is there a solid church in Cape Town? Have you thought about uh, asking that question? Where will I get slotted in? Where will I get involved if I move to a new city? Am I going there with my family or without my family? Will I have to commute? And will that lead me into temptations? If I move for a bigger salary, will that lead me to a love of money? Moving to a big city might bring temptations of uh, drunkenness and partying and these things which you might not find in smaller places. Now these are silly examples and, and, and trivial, but this is how we apply the truth of God's Word to our everyday life. God has given us great resources for finding His will. Firstly, we have said this evening, is the Bible. Please go and re-read uh, all of the verses that I gave you in their context and see that God, God's will for our lives is plain, it's clear. And we need to take that advice and we need to apply it to our own situations. We need to be wise. And the wonderful thing is God says that we can ask for wisdom. Ask Him for wisdom and He will give it. So prayer is another way in which we can find God's will. Wise counsel from friends and family is another one. And this is very important because these are the people who won't be afraid to tell us what the truth, even if they know it might not be what we want to hear. And lastly, we can look at the example from the lives of other Christians. How other Christians made this decision that's in front of me. What pitfalls have I noticed from their lives that I can avoid in making my decisions? It's great wisdom to be found in the example of others. 
So then lastly, as we close, I want to encourage you this evening. You read James 4, verse 15. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into the city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. Now, a good way to understand what this verse means is to clear up um, what it doesn't mean. What was the answer you would have expected James to give when he said, um, Instead, you ought to say, for many people it will say, no, 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 you can't say today or tomorrow you're going to do this. You need to say, I first have to pray about what God's will is for my life before I make the decision. But that's not what James says. James says, yes, go, plan your life, do this today and do this tomorrow. But remember that God is the one who is in control of your future. And so never become so arrogant in your decision making that you think that it's all up to you or that your life is under your control. What he's saying is that you will be accountable to God for the decisions you made before him. So go out, make decisions, be wise, trust God, ask him to reveal his will, study the Bible, pray, and fellowship with Christian believers who can assist you in making difficult decisions. Let us pray together. Oh Lord God, we thank you that your will is not some spooky thing that we need to figure out or we need to try and discern what it is and what it isn't. Thank you that you've made it plain what you require of us as your children. I pray for those who are in the middle of making very difficult decisions, even in a time of much uncertainty, even confusion and fear. Lord, I pray that we will trust you. We will know that as believers, we are in the palm of your hand. And no matter what happens to us on this earth, this is not the only life that we have. And therefore, we can live boldly. Help us to make decisions. Help us to use this great freedom that you have given us. Also to the furtherance of your kingdom and to the growing of our sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May you have a blessed week. Pray we meet each other again on Sunday morning.